0: Welcome to Linux Action News, our weekly take on Linux and the open source world. This is episode 96, recorded on March 10th, 2019. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe. Good to be connected with you live from Scale17x here in Pasadena, California. We have so much to get into this week, some of which I've actually got a chance to talk to the people involved with the stories. But let's start out with a brand new, fresh release of Ubuntu Touch. Yeah, it's not a massive release, but it is
1: important in a sense of they are really starting to polish the OS now and concentrating on the Morph browser, which given that there aren't that many apps available and you're using the web for quite a lot of things is very important. I'm just happy
0: to see that they launched an experimental system-wide dark theme. <laughs> I think that's Yeah, a- <laughs> I thought you might notice
1: that one, yeah.
0: I-, I like the name of their app store too. It's called the Open Store which I thought was kind of nice. They say during this cycle, too, they re-enabled automated testing on their continuous integration system. And then they watched as some packages failed to build, uh, which (laughs) then they got to working on those things. I think it's nice to see them improving things like testing, automated testing, and also traditional testing. But as a project, one of the things that strikes me that you don't often see is how clearly they call out the individual contributors. And uh, even in the change log, They don't break it out by a date or or a bug number. They break it out by contributor. And then they individually list which each contributor of the project got into this particular release. And I don't really see that very often. Yeah, they're very community focused. The whole thing is
1: very much community effort, isn't it? And I remember when they first took over after Canonical dropped the project, suddenly my perspective changing on it and being much more forgiving of it as a community project rather than as a commercial one. But they really have continued over the months and years to make it more and more stable, better and better, and more and more viable as a platform. It's very tricky to compete with iOS and Android, obviously, but I think that there is quite a large niche market for this. And as they continue to get better, hopefully, they will get an OEM deal because that's the hump they need to get over. They need to have this shipping on an actual device that isn't flashed aftermarket. And are they going to be able to do that? I really hope so.
0: Yeah, that's a wait and see thing. But I think for me, one of the reasons I like to keep talking about this project is it's a brilliant example of open source doing something commercial software can't. And that is over time, slowly, methodically, growing a project, growing a community, adding features, and just plugging away at something that doesn't necessarily have an immediate commercial success tied to it. There's not like a three-year plan here to make a billion dollars. And that's not something the commercial mobile space will even bother with anymore. There's just no company that could afford to do that. And it's something open source is uniquely good at because they can play that really long game. Yeah, well, UbiPorts
1: definitely are playing the long game with Ubuntu Touch. And I suppose you could say the same of Purism.
0: Purism is making headlines this week when they announced, get ready for it, convergence. They say we are now announcing that Purism's PureOS is convergent and it has laid the foundation for all future applications to run on both the Librem 5 phone and the Librem laptops from the same Pure OS release. Well, I'm sitting here
1: podcasting, recording, and I'm going to edit it on my phone that they shipped to me. Oh, no, hang on.
0: They haven't actually shipped the phone yet. How can they (laughs) be convergent? I mean, so there's a couple of things here. I think they're getting a lot of feedback that uh, the term convergence has been tossed around before and that they didn't invent it, which, fair enough. Their version of convergence is, they say, it's a term used to describe similar functioning of an app across different platforms. Uh, They say many software companies have been eager to make their software convergent because it brings a consistent look and feel, as well as the exact same functionality for apps to run on your phone and your computer. So they are kind of acknowledging in that particular statement that other companies have tried this. Well, the couple of videos they've got on this post really do show that the
1: GNOME applications can be resized and kind of dynamically adapt to the different form factors. So I suppose it's not all hype. But I am still somewhat skeptical that you're going to be able to get a proper mobile experience and a laptop desktop experience with the same applications.
0: Well, Purism had a booth here at uh, Scale17x, and uh, I had a chance to chat a couple of times with uh, Todd Weaver, the CEO and founder, but also uh, Kyle Rankin, who's their chief of security officer. And uh, he gave me an solid, comprehensive overview of their new Purism boot system. But we did chat briefly about these convergent stuff because, you know, it's in the news and I I knew we were going to be talking about this. And uh, he says this really goes back to the work they've been doing for quite a while now on LibHandy, which is a a mobile adaptive presentation library for GTK Plus and GNOME. They've been involved with that for a while and they've already packaged it up for uh, PureOS and I believe it's also upstream in the Debian repository. And there's some flat packs of it as well. And this is kind of like a library that GTK developers can use to make their applications responsive, sort of like a web app can be responsive, where you can resize your web browser, and the web application will rescale to match the size of the window. Uh, This is a similar functionality for GTK applications. And they they seem to believe in it pretty heavily. And it does seem like a solid contribution to uh, the upstream GNOME project, because this isn't just a purism thing. This is something they're contributing upstream. And it's kind of nice functionality to have. Even even if we're kind of laughing about using the name Convergence and this theoretical world where we're using the same applications on the Librem 5 phone and the desktops, like we can kind of poke fun at that idea. But the core actual effort, like the the manifestation of this vision is an upstream library now that GTK developers can use to resize apps and make it responsive. That's cool.
1: Oh, it is. And they're very keen to open source absolutely everything they do and try and get as much upstream as possible. And it is really good to see that in a project. But here's the but. They haven't shipped a phone yet. They're hyping something which doesn't actually exist yet. Mm. And I'm sure that once the phone ships and we see it in action, it will be impressive. But it just feels too early to be doing this and they are just so good at building the hype train aren't they mm. we just end up talking about them all the time
0: yeah this is part of that this is this is something they've been working on for a while and it's sort of strategically messaged at the right time as they're building towards something here um, side note I did get my hands on the Librem 5 uh, dev kit here at, at uh, scale
1: and how was running on that then
0: well, I couldn't answer that. Uh, they they didn't have it booting. In fact, they'd remove the battery. I think in part to make sure it wouldn't power on, and also to reduce the weight because the battery is quite large. It's a it's like a you know just a dev kit, so it's not like a custom designed flat battery. It's a it looks like a big old battery, and um, the uh, object itself was pretty large in the hand because it's not quite cut down to size yet, and there's heat sinks attached to the back of it and stuff like that. But the screen's about the size of the, like the Pixel. Of the large pixel.
1: Oh, right, the XL or whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah, the XL. But yeah, I was a little disappointed it wasn't booting. I was I was hoping that since since it had been about a month since FOSDOM, by the time they got to scale, they'd have a functional one.
1: That does add to my skepticism, I must say, because I thought that by now they'd have something very functional on that dev kit. And not having a battery in it, mm, that doesn't look good to me.
0: No, no, I, I felt the same way. However, talking to Kyle, uh, their chief security officer, uh, he seemed really sharp, and uh, the things that they're thinking about and uh, trying to build look pretty good. So they they may have a they may have a good team there. It might just things might just end up being on a protracted schedule, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And and maybe that's okay. Maybe we end up we might still end up getting the same end product. Just might take a lot longer. Well, anyone
1: who's listened to User Error would know that I would have been checking it out. I would have grabbed my anchor battery and the relevant cable and slightly plugged it in. And had a good play with it (laughs)
0: that's clever yeah i'm surprised you didn't think of that oh well just a couple of more stories that are rounding out the uh, mobile linux landscape and one that may be coming to a device near you yeah maru
1: os 0.6 has been released and although this is primarily mobile it's running on my nexus 5 for example and you can also run it on a nexus 5x what's really great about it is it's a lineage based rom but then you plug in a screen and a keyboard and mouse, and suddenly you have a Debian desktop with XFCE.
0: Well, slow down there, Sport. Isn't it news with this release? I could be wrong, but I thought it was this one where they finished rebuilding and rebasing on a slimmed-down lineage. Like, that's kind of one of the new features,
1: isn't it? Yeah, it was just based on the Android Open Source project before, whereas now it's based on lineage, which gives you a couple of extra lineage features, and it also makes it more portable to other devices. And although we haven't actually seen any new devices yet. (laughs) The whole point of this is that it's gonna be much easier to do so, so we should see some soon, hopefully.
0: I kinda chuckle over here, but uh, that is the idea. And, And it does make sense that we'll get there. But as I said, I've been checking this out,
1: and it is great. I've been following the project for a couple of years now, and it always just amazes me that you can have a Debian desktop. I mean, it's not that complicated. It's just running in containers and sharing the kernel. And so because you've got this ancient kernel on a Nexus 5, it means you don't have things like snaps working properly. And there are a few other things that don't work, like audio. But it is still amazing to me that it's not even particularly laggy, this Debian desktop. Obviously, it uses the best desktop environment in the world, XFCE, so course, it's going to yeah. be mm-hmm. super smooth. Right. But it is surprising on a device of this age and power and RAM and specs generally Yeah that you can have a fully functional Linux desktop and it actually work well.
0: Yeah, fair enough. That is true. That is surprising. I know that one of the other things that they added with this release is you can now hook up a mouse or keyboard over USB, where in the past you were limited to Bluetooth devices. Did you get a chance to try that?
1: No, I've just got a little um, Bluetooth keyboard with a little touchpad on it that I always use for it. So no, I haven't tried that. And I didn't get around to trying the Chromecast support either, which means that you don't actually have to plug in a screen anymore. So I really am keen to test it, but I don't have a Chromecast. i will have to go around to my parents' place and um, check it out on on their Chromecast.
0: Well, congratulations to the Moo Project for getting 0.6 out. That's kind of making me want to go get the old Nexus out of the uh, drawer and give it a go. You can get the latest version on their download page, as well as a guide to walk you through the entire process, which we have linked in the show notes at linuxactionnews.com slash 96. Well on the more mainstream side of the
1: Android street, this week on the Android developers blog, Google have posted about a new monetization method for devs, which involves giving users the option to watch video adverts instead of actually paying for
0: things. <laughs> you, have you ever seen this where you've got like a free game and you die or something happens and it's like, watch a video and get extra gems or get an, get another replay? or resume your progress. And if you watch the video, it's like a 30 second Google ads, ad video thing. And then it takes you back to the game and you get whatever reward, whatever incentive they promise to make you watch that ad. This is on my kids' games all the time too. And they'll just sit there and watch the videos, they love it. They think it's a great. They think it's a great deal. Um, and so far, this has been up to each individual developer to implement in their own fancy, however they want to do it. And so what Google's doing now is, hey, let's just give you a system-wide Google Play-based API to do this, and then we can all make money. <laughs> and the only people that lose are the users. Joe. Oh, the users win by getting cool rewards in their games. <laughs> Google Play is excited to announce the rewarded products. A new product type now available in the open beta in your Play console. Have at it, developers. (laughs) It does feel like some Black Mirror episode or something, doesn't it? Where you're sort
1: of forced to watch these videos.
0: Yeah, I actually think it's going to be horrible for Android because there's already so much pressure for all of the apps to be free and all of these weirdo ways they try to monetize. This is sort of like a blessed way now and you're just going to get tons and tons of Google Ads videos. And Google's making money on both ends of the deal because when you put it on the Google Ads network, they're making money. And when you do a transaction through the Google Play API, they're taking a cut. So it's just wonderful for them. It really is
1: them doubling down on it being a sort of budget OS, though, isn't it? It's it's not premium like iOS where you're just expected to spend the couple of bucks or whatever for the app. This is just them really accepting that it is a second-rate
0: Monetization system. It seems that way to me. And it also seems like it's going to lead to a lot more advertisements on the platform. I do wonder if you've got Root
1: and Adaway, whether you'll be able to say, Yes, I'll watch the video, and then it just won't load and it'll skip it.
0: I hope so. That would be great, actually. <laughs> Not that I want to steal or anything like that, but also I don't want ads on my phone. I really don't. I don't like having ads on my mobile device. And so I would be much more inclined to root after years and years now of not rooting. uh, This would probably put me back into that camp. The thing is, though, it looks like
1: this is going to be an option for people. So it's either pay and have this freemium model and pay for your rewards or go the advertising route. So it's kind of choice, which
0: is good, isn't it? Well, it's up to the developer. You know, it's up to the developer if they want to offer that. I would love, love for that to be the way it goes, Joe. But I'm skeptical.
1: Yeah, I suppose they'll have metrics, won't they, these devs, for how many people actually are paying for these add-ons in the apps. And it's probably not a lot of people on Android. And so I think this is going to be very popular
0: with them. Well, the consumer market might be a hot mess for Google, but the enterprise market seems like it could be shaping up quite nicely for Google's Glass. Yes, Google Glass. A new generation, even. Yeah, we talked about this way back on Episode 11 of Linux Action News
1: when they had a kind of second generation at the time, Google Glass, which was very much aimed at industry. And now there are some leaks of a second generation of that device, so essentially the third generation of Google Glass, which means it obviously must have done well for them, and they have finally found the niche
0: for Google Glass. Just as an aside, one of the things about this story that jumps out to me is now we have the second most prominent augmented reality product in the market that is focused solely at the enterprise. Recently, Microsoft announced HoloLens 2, which also is focused at the enterprise. And now, here we have Google Glass Enterprise Edition, and these latest leaks seem to indicate it's a nice upgrade. First of all, the biggest change is USB-C. You're getting USB-C for charging. That seems pretty nice. But according to 9to5Google, there's other things that are a pretty big upgrade in this thing, too. It's going to go with a Snapdragon 710. It's going to have onboard LTE, 802.11ac. The camera is going to go from an 8-megapixel sensor to a 32-megapixel sensor with 4K video recording. They're also upgrading the RAM from 2 gigs to 3 gigs. It's essentially a mid to high range Android smartphone in a very specific form factor that wraps around your brain noodle. And so, of course, this means
1: yet more Linux in industry and enterprise, not only on the device itself, but also you've got to figure it's connecting to servers and uploading the data and downloading the data. And the chances are that's going to be running
0: on Linux, probably on AWS or at least in the cloud somewhere. Oh yeah, for sure, it's Linux all the way down. And let's also be clear, this isn't going to stay in the enterprise forever. Soon we'll be all walking around with Linux computers connected to the cloud wrapped around our head. I'm not sure how I feel about that. But why don't we change gears and talk about the biggest story of the week. week. And that is Microsoft announcing the open sourcing of Windows Calculator. (laughs) 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 now that's how
1: everyone has covered this right Mm -hmm. the fact that oh it's just a joke and Mm -hmm. it's the most minor part of Mm -hmm. windows right but there's actually a more nuanced take on this and it's right there in microsoft's post about this and they say reviewing the calculator code is a great way to learn about the latest microsoft technologies like universal windows platform xaml and Azure pipelines, and that is the crux of this. It's not just them doing it for fun, it's to try and entice devs in and to say, look, this is an example of some of the legacy code of actually doing the calculation stuff, but here's how it actually ties into Windows 10. This is the example code that you can then use to build your applications, to learn about how to build applications. And so it's a way of pulling people in. And therefore, I think it's a very smart move by Microsoft.
0: Yeah, it is. It is a great way to sort of dip your toes in without it being overwhelming. And the thing is, is that it's sort of a fascinating application. Because in some ways, it's a very modern, designed Windows application. But some elements of it, like core parts of the code base, go all the way back to 1995. I was chatting with Mark Goodner, who is the program manager for Visual Studio at Microsoft here at SCALE. And he and I were joking about what's going to be the next application that Microsoft is going to open source. And uh, he and I are polling for it to be Minesweeper. I think that'd be pretty awesome. (laughs) Solitaire, maybe. (laughs) One of the things that is interesting about this is there is already a whole bunch of issues that has been submitted against this. In fact, Microsoft has already merged some of the community fixes into the upstream code base. It is, in all senses, a genuine open source project now. It's weird to think that, isn't it? That Microsoft have
1: got a properly open source project of any kind, never mind all of the other ones they've got. It's just, if you told us that 10 years ago, we would
0: have just not believed you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I, I would be really actually fascinated to see if they open source future applications and Will this ship in the next major version of Windows, the next major version of calc.exe that gets updated, will it be this version that has been patched by community members? My sense is it will be. And then we will have an official Microsoft Windows application that is being modified, improved, and updated by the open source community. It's not a big deal when it's calc.exe. But if it's MMC.exe or something that's much more significant like a control panel applet or something, that all of a sudden starts to become a very big deal. Could it possibly be the tiptoeing towards open
1: sourcing the whole shell, if not the NT kernel? Seems unlikely, but it's what a lot of people hope.
0: I'm not going that far yet. I'm not going that far it could end here. And I think it's worth remembering it's MIT license. It's not like they're GPL and all the things here. Um, I don't, I still don't believe they're building towards a, a window shell that runs on top of a Linux base, at least not yet. Um, I think today it's just calc.exe. However, like many, many efforts out of Microsoft, when you dig into it, you realize this has been in the works for a really long time. Like just the basics were up on GitHub back in January. We're only finding out about it now. But things like Visual Studio Code and .NET Core were in works for four or five years before they were ever public. So whatever their next move is, it's already been in the works for quite a while. And when we find out about it, it'll be after months and months of them working on it. So it's a weird thing to think about. But right now, The next move is already well underway, and it's just up to us to figure out what it is.
1: Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and have a wild prediction that they will open source the whole shell, and then within a couple of days, someone will get it running on next. I tell you what, if they package that up, I give it a go. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? (laughs) I've tried crazier things. Yeah. So before we get out of here then, I know you're going to talk about it on LUP in a couple of days, but what's the kind of take-home message from your experience at scale then?
0: Well, first and foremost, it was awesome to see everybody. Thank you, everybody that came out and said hi and joined the meetup. We had a great dinner. But my overall big theme about this year's scale was the cloud. And I don't even think it was intentional on the part of the scale organizers. I just think it's what the community contributed as talks. And even the talks that weren't specifically about the cloud had tangential connections to the cloud. Um, there was representation there about, um, you know, from Purism and System76 for the Linux desktop but the hallway track this year was the best it's ever been. There was elements to this year's scale that I think were just, first of all, should be replicated by all other conferences, but just made it one of the best scales ever. I'm going to talk more about it on Linux Unplugged, because we also had Wes and L. they were here with me, and uh, want to get their thoughts on it too. We'll do a little story time on this week's Linux Unplugged.
1: I look forward to it, but I'm not surprised that it was all about the cloud, because follow the money. (laughs) That's where the money is in Linux, right? So. People are going to be talking about that.
0: Yeah, we'll be talking about that and a lot more. And so will we, Joe. Go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe, dear audience member, for all the ways to get new episodes of this here show.
1: And go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch.
0: And we're doing more study groups. We have one coming up on March 17th for Kubernetes and much, much more. Go to meetup.com slash Broadcasting for our Meetspace meetups and our online virtual study group meetups. And if you're anywhere near Reading in the UK...
1: On Saturday, the sixteenth of March, so coming up very soon, the Ubuntu Podcast are having a get together, and I'll be at that. So come and say hello.
0: We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris Las. I'm at Joe Rissington Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. See you later.